The glory of God, the glorious presence of God is what we're looking at these nights. And I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 8. And the first week we looked at the glory of God in the Garden of Eden. We looked at how Adam and Eve were originally adorned with glory. And that's when they sinned, the glory went and they were left naked and how they walked with God. And that was the form of communion that they had and talked with God. Last week we looked at the glory of God, the Shekinah glory that rested over the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and the temple, and how that was lost when the Philistines stole the Ark. God's power was not lost. God's power was still with the Ark, it just wasn't with God's people. And I think that's where we are, just saying, I think that's where we are, largely in the West, is the church. God hasn't lost his power, power belongs to God, but we have lost the power in our midst um, tonight we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel, just to keep things simple for you. We're going to look at the book of Ezekiel, and chapter 8, we're going to read most of this chapter, or probably all of it, and then we're going to bounce around a wee bit, but we're going to look at uh, the Shekinah glory and its departure in the days of Ezekiel. Now let me explain a couple of things before we read the passage. Shekinah, if you haven't been here before, Shekinah is not a biblical word, it's not actually found in the Bible, but it's derived from the Hebrew word to dwell, which means Shekinah. That's the, sorry, the Hebrew word to dwell is shikan, which means um, the visible presence of the invisible God. So when God shows up, you know God's invisible, don't you? He's a spirit, you can't see him. But when he shows up, there are certain things that happen. And those things aren't God themselves. They're just certain signs of God's around. So in the scripture, you've got uh, fire, you've got smoke or cloud, you've got darkness, you've got light, you've got sound like thunder and so on and a combination of all these. That's Shekinah. The visible presence of the invisible God, or to put it another way, localized omnipotence. When the omnipresent God, who's everywhere, becomes localized into one space. Now, Shekinah is one word that you don't find in the Bible, but another word that you do is the Hebrew word kabod or kavod. And that is the word when you read glory, that's the word in the Hebrew, kabod. And it literally means the weighty glory of God. When there's a heaviness of the glory of God. I don't know whether you've ever had an x-ray where you've had to put a um, lead vest on before. But it's a bit like that if you're in a meeting and the kabod of God comes down. It's a bit like you just feel this kind of weight on you. Sometimes it might knock you over, but just generally you're feeling this heaviness of the density, of the, the, the condensed presence of God in the midst. Now, I know this is a bit technical, but you know, you want to go deep, you want to go deep. Um, there is, the, the Old Testament is in Hebrew. Yes, written in Hebrew. The New Testament is in Greek, but there is a Hebrew, or sorry, a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. Okay, so it's the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, but translated to Greek. And the corresponding word for glory or kavod in Hebrew in the Greek Old Testament is the word doxa. We get doxology from. And we sing a doxology or we pronounce a doxology to the worth and esteem of God. So doxa means to value or having a proper opinion of God. 
And so the glory is understanding the weightiness of who our God is. If you want bite-sized chunks or Christianity light, God bless you. But there is a, there is a transcendence of the glory of God that you've got you've to seek. You've got to dig deep. You've got to go a little farther. You understand? And that's when you break into the glory. Or the glory, should I say, breaks in upon you. So Ezekiel is one of my favorite books, and it's a bit complicated. But you see scriptures that you find are a boy, bit of a, a head melter, we might say. Those are the ones you need to dig into, and you'll find something, some treasure. Right? Let's read this together. Uh, Ezekiel 8, in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, when I was sitting in my house, and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. Now try to picture this in your imagination. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal, like molten metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. If you want to know what the vision was he saw in the plain, look at chapter 1. as a vision of cherubim and wheels, within wheels and eyes all over the wheels. It's really bizarre, but it's, it's profound in showing that God is sovereign over all, no matter what's happening, and his sovereignty touches the earth. But he saw this vision of the glory of God just like that. But he's also seeing something else, perhaps even stranger, and that is this idol that has been set up in the midst of the precincts of the temple. It's called an idol of jealousy, and we'll learn more about that in a a moment. Then he said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? Let's just pause there for a moment. God sees what they're doing. Everywhere. Whether it's in government or the church. God sees what they're doing. God sees what you're doing. But he's letting the prophets see. Do you see what they're doing? The things, the detestable things the Israelites are doing here in my temple. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court, and I looked, and I saw a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked, detestable things they are doing here. So I went in and looked, and I saw portrayed all over the wall all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of Israel, and Jezaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, he said, you will see 
them doing things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw women sitting there mourning the god Tammuz. And he said to me, Do you see this, son of man? You will see these things are even more detestable than these. And he then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance to the temple between the portico and the altar were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were bowing down to the sun in the east. And he said to me, have you seen this son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them putting the branch to their nose. That was a pagan thing. Therefore, I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. Ezekiel, the prophet in the Bible, is the story of the departure of the glory of God from Israel because of their sin. We talked last week about how the Ark of the Covenant left and how Eli's daughter-in-law was in distress because Eli had died, her husband had died, Eli's son, and now the ark of God had been taken away from the Israelites, and she gave birth to a son called Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. And now we see the glory departing again from Israel. But what I want you to notice is that according to Ezekiel, the kabod of God, the glory cloud of God, departed reluctantly in four stages because of the sin of God's people. And that's good news, because God doesn't want... Remember we said the great passion of God's heart from the very beginning has always been to dwell in the midst of his people. More than people wanting to be with God, God wants to be in the midst of his people. It's the story of the whole of Revelation, the book of Re, I mean, Revelation of Scripture, from Genesis to the Apocalypse. He wants to dwell with his people and be their God. So he doesn't want to move out, but he is evicted. His great glorious presence is evicted by his people's sin, particularly idolatry. And here we have, spoken in Ezekiel 8, this uh, idol of jealousy as it's described, an image of jealousy that was set up in the north gate of the temple. Now, Tim's going to put up, or somebody, it's not you, obviously, um, Steve's going to put up uh, the first slide that I have. Now, this is a bit hard to work, make out, but this is Ezekiel 8 for you, okay? Now, think about all the stuff going on here. If you don't understand, what the, that's the, the temple. Um, that's not going to work, is it? No. The temple, and over on the right-hand side, you've got 25 men of evil counsel, and they're all bowing down, I think, to the sun. And then you've got number one at the, at the top of the diagram, at the temple, you've got the image of jealousy. That's right in the precincts of the temple. And that was probably either an Asherah pole, which is like a sexual phallic symbol. Asherah and Baal were sex gods. Um, and that's what you've got right in the temple. Right? Think about this. Then you've got women weeping for Tammuz, number three. You've got animal images, which are really corresponding, I would say, to unclean images, probably equivalent to pornographic images that we would talk about. And the, the elders of Israel are all bound down to them all over the wall. It's incredible when you think of what's going on here in the temple. This is God's place where he's meant to be present. He, he, he's showing up. He's dwelling among his people. And the queen of heaven is being worshipped by women and Tammuz and so on. And God has to move out from his own home 
because of the sin of his people. And he moves out in four stages. And I want you to see this. The first stage is from the Holy of Holies to the threshold of the door of the temple. Look at chapter 9 and verse 3. Now the glory of the God of Israel went up. The kabod of God went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. Remember I told you last week that the, the cloud of glory hovered over the cherubim on the mercy seat at the top of the, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah? And here what we're saying is it's moving the first stage from the Holy of Holies out of the Holy of Holies over the Ark of the Covenant to the threshold, the door of the temple. God's moving out. You see it in chapter 10 and verse 4. If you want to look at that for a moment, the same thing. Then the glory, the kabod of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple. And the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. So it's moving out from the Holy of Holies and it fills the whole space. But it's nothing to be celebrated because God is on the way out. It's the first stage. From the top of the Ark of the Covenant, the threshold of the temple. The second stage is from the threshold of the door of the temple to the eastern gate. Look at chapter 10, verse 18 and 19. We see this. Then the glory of the kabod of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple, over the door of the temple, and stopped over the cherubim. That's the cherubim carrying it. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground as they went, and the wheels went with them, and they stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel was above them. So you see the progression? From over the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, out to the door of the temple, and now from the door of the temple to the eastern gate of the temple precinct. Third stage, from the eastern gate of the temple precinct, it moves out to the Mount of Olives. Chapter 11, look at it, verse 22-23. Then the cherubim with the wheels beside them spread their wings, and the glory, the kabod of the God of Israel was above them, and the glory of the Lord went from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. That is the Mount of Olives. Now, the city is now doomed because God's moving out. And this is very similar, by the way, let me just say as an aside, to what Jesus said to the churches in the book of Revelation that John wrote to when he said, I will come, if you don't repent, I will come to you and take away your lampstand. I will, I will remove my glory from your presence. So what does that do to two or three are gathered in my name, they're at my in the midst? Hmm? We take these things for granted. That's New Testament. But anyway, let's get back to the Old Testament. That's the third stage. But the city is now doomed. Now the fourth stage is the glory, the cabal of God moves off the Mount of Olives and away from Israel and it disappears from Jewish history. The glory has departed in stages. Folks, that's what's happening in the church. The glory has been departing for quite a while. And we might let, get little glimpses of presence and glory from time to time. We might get the odd signs and wonders here and there. But generally speaking, the kabod of God, the weighty glory of God, the doxa of God, the shekinah, God showing up visibly, has long gone. And it's the same for individual lives. You don't wake up one day and all of a sudden you're backslidden. You understand? There is a degenerative progression. That's not a contradiction. But a step-by-step -step downward 
There is an idol of jealousy in the temple, and that's always the reason why God's presence in this weary glory starts to depart. John, the apostle of the heart of Jesus, in his first epistle, which is all about fellowship, the five chapters is all about fellowship, it's all about abiding in Christ and abiding in one another in love. What is the, the end of that whole epistle? What's the last verse in it? It seems almost incongruent to, 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 to the rest of the book, unless you understand the rest of the book. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because idols will keep you from the presence of God. This is called an idol of jealousy because God, listen to what the Apostle James says, God earnestly desires, he's jealous over your spirit. The spirit of God is jealous over your spirit. God's not a little green monster in that jealous way that we think of. It's nothing to do with that. It's he knows that you will only be fulfilled and satisfied and, 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 and meet your creative destiny if you have him in the right place in your life. So he's jealous that you know that. But he's jealous of idols that will rob you of that. And so John talks about fellowship or communion or the abiding presence. And the problem is where two gods are in the temple, one will have to move. We saw it when the ark of God last week moved into Dagon's tent. Dagon had to fall flat on his face. God will not share his glory with another. And my message tonight is it's better to remove the false presence than lose the real one. Lose the false presence rather than the true presence depart. And there's a lot of false presences in the church. The basic message is sin causes God to evacuate his house. And you can say, oh, but we're all in the blood, David. You don't know grace. You don't know, you know, what is this? Is this works you're talking about? No, I'm not talking about work. You can be saved. You can be secure. You can be justified. But if you want to go on with God, if you want to go deeper, if you want to have the weighty glory of the kabod of God on you, if you want to have an anointing and flow an anointing, you can't live in sin and with sin. Sin causes God to evacuate his house. And God's kabod presence left Israel at that moment. Left Israel. Now the good news is we are new covenant believers. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his image. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his image. And John himself said, John 1.14, we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul said in Colossians 1.19, God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He is God incarnate. So he is the greatest manifestation of the glory and kabod and shekinah of God because he is God in human flesh. This is fascinating. The last week of our Lord's life on Palm Sunday in his triumphal entry. Can I have the next slide, please? The progression, and this will be very fresh for you, Mitch, if you haven't been there a couple of weeks ago. The progression of his entrance into 
Jerusalem, a triumphal entry, was what? It was from Bethany, down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, and in through the Eastern Gate to the Temple. Yes? And on the last week of his life, he cleansed the Temple. That's, that's the opposite route to the glory of God that left in Ezekiel's day. He's coming back in as king. He's coming back into his rightful place, into Jerusalem now, at the end of his life. And he cleanses the temple. And then what happens? Turn with me to uh, Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 37. He exits the temple through the eastern gate down the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives, and he looks over Jerusalem. And what does he say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 37 of Matthew 23. You kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers your chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The temple is going to be desolate. If you want idols, you don't want me. I came unto, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And look at verse 1 of 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to, to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so there's the temple, the cleansing of the temple, and he pronounces destruction on the temple, which was fulfilled in AD 70. He goes out the east gate of the city. He goes up the Mount of Olives. He, he does his upper room ministry, which is John 14, 15, and 16. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. He is betrayed. He goes via Calvary through the empty tomb. Forty days later, he's in Bethany, and he ascends to heaven. The glory's gone again. But as he ascends, the angels say to his disciples, this same Jesus that you see go shall so come again in like manner. And when he comes, you know what the root is? He comes to the Mount of Olives, probably by Bethany. He will go down the Mount of Olives, cross the Kidron Valley, and in through the eastern gate into the temple, and he will set up his rule and reign forever. marvelous, isn't it? There's a rabbinic tradition that in Ezekiel's day that the kabod of God hovered over the Mount of Olives. Remember after it went from the Holy of Holies to the threshold, from the threshold of the Eastern Gate, from the Eastern Gate over the Mount of Olives. It hovered over the Mount of Olives for three and a half years. Reluctantly Departing. 
the same spot, the same spot from which our Lord Jesus ascended after three and a half years of his ministry and the temple then gets destroyed again. And Jesus will return, Matthew 16, for the Son of Man is going to come to his, in his Father's glory with his angels, Shekinah glory, Kabod glory. That's what we're looking for, folks. We're looking for his coming again. This is fascinating. Jesus, in Jesus' time, it was the second temple. You understand? The glory was not in it like the first temple. If you know anything about Haggai's prophecy, you will know that the, the men, the old men and women who remembered the first temple wept when they saw the second temple built because it wasn't anything like it. We read in Haggai 2, 3, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? And it wasn't because of the wallpaper. It was because the Shekinah glory wasn't there. The kabod of God was not there. But then in Haggai 2, 9, you get the prophet saying this, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Does it not seem to you like nothing? The glory of this second house that doesn't have the kabod and glory of God and that everybody's weeping about who remembers the first house, the glory of this house is going to be greater than the previous one. How so? Because a greater than the temple walked into that temple. Jesus Christ walked into that temple. That's what made it greater. Now, folks, I'm almost finished. Do you know who you are? Do you? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Now that was, he was talking corporately to the church at Corinth. Okay? All of you together, church, do you know who you are? You are the temple. God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands. The church is not a place to go. You are the church. You can't go to church. You are the church. And you're meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But folks, it's no different than the Old Testament in this respect, that if there are aisles of jealousy, whilst you may be born again and you might be sealed to go to heaven someday, the fact of the matter is you will not be experiencing the Shekinah kabod of God in all its fullness. We've got to get rid of the idols. And Paul, when he spoke again, 2 Corinthians 6.16 said, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. All false presences must be removed for the true presence to abide. This is New Testament. Five out of the seven churches that John wrote to, messages from Jesus in the book of Revelation, 
Five out of the seven were told, repent, 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 repent. Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to Wittenberg Church door. And the first thesis was repent. And he espoused in that that repentance for the Christian was a daily experience. Repent. And folks, listen, I believe in knowing who you are in Christ. I believe in it. I believe in identity. I believe in knowing our sonship. I believe in knowing and understanding adoption. I believe in healing and deliverance. I believe in the wonder of the good news of the fullness of the gospel. I believe in we're blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 18 says, it is the inheritance of the glory of the saints. We've got glory as our inheritance, but I'm telling you this, we will never know it experientially and we will never see revival. We will never see revival unless judgment begins in the house of God. And it's not a popular message and I'm not here to win votes. But if we are serious about revival, serious, we need to get serious with our sin. And how can we do anything else How can we do anything else than get serious with our sin? When we see what our sin cost, the Holy One of God. And will you say tonight, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, what's your idol of jealousy? William Cooper put it like this, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. It could be a sin of the flesh that we find in Galatians 5, all sorts of sins, like fornication, adultery, drunkenness, all these different things. We to tell you, there's sins of the flesh and there's sins of the spirit. Sins of the spirit can be pride. It can be jealousy. It can be religious self-righteousness. It can be control, manipulation, slander, greed, love of money. Church is full of it. The dearest idol I have known. You know Gideon? He had to go into his father's backyard and he did it at night because he was scared, but at least he did it. And he chopped down his father's idol. That was an idol that was in the family for generations. And his father was the priest of that idol. And it was going to cost him. And the people of the town came to the father's door wanting his blood, wanting his son's blood, Gideon, because he, he cut down the idol. But you know, that woke his father up. Because he said, he was the priest, and he says, let, let that God defend himself. If he's a God, let him defend himself. Some of you need to go into your dad's backyard and cut down that family idol. It could be a political allegiance or some lodge or some other thing that you're wrapped up in that's choking your spiritual life. It could be anything. We 
here's the thing, folks. As Mitch said at the very beginning, our Bible, oh, the glory, and oh, at what, at what cost? What price are we prepared to pay? You say, oh, we don't need Jesus paid all the price. Well, away you go then. And you put up your wee stall and you have a revival and we'll see how that goes. That's not the way it works, folks. We've got it all in Christ, yes, but we've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we've got to appropriate what, what God has given us. We have got to appropriate by faith and repentance. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are not trying to do your work. Our Lord said that you would convince the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. So Holy Spirit, you come and do your own work of conviction. You're not wanting to make us miserable. You're wanting to set us free. You're wanting to release us into the greatest relationship and experience of the love and power and light and truth of God that any anybody can have. That's why Jesus died for us. We believe it with all our heart that we might know you. The power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings and be conformed to your image. And so Lord, some of us here tonight will be able to say, Lord, I want it all. I want everything that Jesus died for. I want it all. If you're struggling here tonight and you've got obstacles and you've got idols of jealousy and you don't know how to let, let go of them because there may be our addictions and you're maybe wound up in those. Jesus is able for that. All, all you need to do is agree with him that this is a problem. He's not asking you to fix yourself up. Don't misunderstand anything I'm saying here tonight. He's not asking you to gut, the, gut out the fish first. No. He's asking you to bring all your baggage. He'll take your baggage and all. He'll take your baggage and all, come as you are, but you've got to be willing to allow him to wrest that idol out of your heart. He will. He'll tear it out of your heart if you let him, but you've got to be willing to be willing. You understand? So come and say, Lord, I don't know how I, 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 this can be fixed. And people have tried with me before, and I've gone to this and that and the other. But Lord, I bring it to you. I come to the foot of your cross and I want your power. I want your presence more than anything. I want your cleansing. If you're not saved tonight, ask him to save you and cleanse you and forgive you and come into your life and, and fill you with his power and his spirit. Bring your sin to the cross and let him deal with it and you come to him with all your heart. Or if you're a backslider tonight and they're, they're idle, you know what it is. You know what it is. Bring it to him. Say, Lord, here it is. I release it to you. Ask him for the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome those things. To nail them to the cross. Overcome them. Ask him to fill you with the true presence. Ask him to fill you with the true presence. You need, you need the power of God. You, you need the power of God. The presence. Ask them to fill you with this true presence.